It's that inward out where he's going to do a work in you. He did not mean for us to do it alone. He didn't. I've always felt that I've struggled with wanting to share my love of Jesus with others. Holy Spirit, you lead this day, and I'm just here with you. You know, they say God sends people in your lives for a reason, and I think this is one of those things where he could really work through somebody in your life. I see myself now as worthy of love, as God's adopted child. I look in the mirror, and I'm so happy. A recent news story grabbed my attention. And when I tell you about it, you'll know exactly why. It was a story about a guy named John Cisna. John's a high school science teacher from Iowa. John lost 56 pounds in six months by eating, check this out, nothing but McDonald's. What? You heard that right. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. Every single day for six months, only ate McDonald's. And he didn't just lose weight. The article also said he lowered his cholesterol and lost 21 inches off his chest, waist, and hips while dining only at Mickey D's. It was actually a pretty big story. And the reason is because nobody gets healthier eating more McDonald's. And I know. I mean, because I tried it in college. I love a quarter pounder with cheese, large fry, Diet Coke, and a chocolate shake for dessert. But that's been a very long time ago. Now, I mean, just, just smell French fries, and I gained two pounds. All right, so how did John Cisna do it? How did he only do it by just eating McDonald's? Well, it turns out there's a little more to the story. Yes, John only ate McDonald's, but he ate very specific items from McDonald's. He ate very specific quantities from McDonald's. And the diet was something that he planned with the students from his science class as an experiment. And the experiment put him on a strict caloric intake every day. So it wasn't actually the McDonald's that made the difference. It was actually eating less that made the difference. Now, I start with that story because eating better and losing weight is something we talk about a lot as we start the new year. Now, whether you're a person who makes New Year's resolutions or not, the truth is most people see the new year as an opportunity to get a fresh start. Not just diet and exercise, but with just about everything. And research tells us that marker events, like a new year, are a great time to put an end to some bad habits and start some good ones. But here's the mistake, okay? Here's the mistake most people make, maybe even you. Most people think that change needs to happen the change that needs to happen in the new year is to focus on more, like more vegetables eaten or more time in the gym or more miles logged or more books read or more projects completed, more commitment, more effort, more discipline. And so what do we do? We create our big list of more. We buy the Peloton or we find the perfect goal app to remind us of what more we need to do. And we take our best intentions and wrap them in all the willpower we can muster and unfortunately, for most of us, by February 1st, the promise of more completely fails. So I want to suggest something totally counterintuitive to you. Are you ready? What if what we really need in this coming year is not more, but actually less? What if what we really need for 2024 to be the best year of our lives is not more, 
but instead less. And I want you to hang in there with me and just see what you think. Today, we're starting a brand new series called, Are You a Disciple? And Jesus is very clear. There are certain qualities and practices that'll be evident in the life of a disciple. And in the coming weeks, we're gonna explore several things Jesus said about being a disciple, such as he said, um, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. He said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, that might look like an intimidating list, but I'm telling you, if you stick with us for all four weeks, I'm convinced you'll be both inspired and equipped to live as a disciple of Jesus in 2024 and just maybe have the best year of your life. Now, this series also coincides with our 21 days of prayer and fasting that starts tomorrow. It's a time that we intentionally set aside this space to hear from God so we can do what he says. Because remember, remember what our definition of a disciple is? Our definition of a disciple is someone who hears from God and does what he says. Someone who hears from God and does what he says. Now, I'm gonna talk more about those 21 days of prayer and fasting later. Now, to start though, I want us to look at the first, this first saying of Jesus. And Jesus very plainly lays out what it will take to be a disciple. And here's what he says, Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Let's take a little time today, and I want to explore these three, really, what are supposed to be everyday activities of a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. All right, first, what does it mean to deny yourself? All right, here you go. Deny yourself means less feeding your own appetite. When I think of uh, denying myself, I think of becoming a parent. I mean, when Sue and I were newlyweds, we were dinks, you know, double income, no kids. So if we wanted to go out to eat, we went out to eat. If we wanted to do something fun, we did something fun. We didn't really think about saving or planning for the future. It was all about right now, what we wanted to do in this moment. And then came kids, Amy, Josh, and Caleb. And with kids, as many of you know, come the need for, you know, diapers and doctor's appointments and braces and music lessons and sports leagues and saving for college. And all of that meant a lot less eating out, a lot less doing whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. I had to learn how to deny myself. And I tell people, you know, being a parent's exhausting. I mean, when they're in preschool, it's physically exhausting. Then when they're teenagers, right, it's emotionally exhausted. And then when you go to college, it's financially exhausting. And parenting is a season that teaches you, I think in many ways, self-denial. And was it worth it? Absolutely. It was one of the greatest privileges and joy of my life to be a dad. But I had to learn how to deny myself. Author Richard Foster de defines denying yourself this way. Self-denial is simply a way of coming to understand that we do not have to have our own way. Our happiness is not dependent upon getting what we want. Let that sink in. And I think that's one of the reasons our 21 days of prayer and fasting has been really important to me. 
These 21 days provide a specific window of time where I'm saying no to myself to create space to say yes to God. And specifically, fasting kind of disrupts some of my own comfortable rhythms and habits. And the discomfort that comes with fasting then serves as a reminder that I'm a disciple who denies myself so I can hear from God. I mean, if I'm fasting from social media, when I have that instinct, you know, to pull out the phone and start scrolling, I resist that and instead spend time with God, listening to God. Or if I'm fasting from sweets, when I get that sugar craving at 8 p.m. for some ice cream, I slowly back away from the freezer and instead reflect on my day. Uh, maybe I journal, maybe I spend some time praying. If I'm fasting from coffee, honestly, you should probably just keep your distance. Even God's like, hey, Dave, go have a latte and get back to me. <laughs> but, but fasting, fasting is kind of like, it's kind of like having a kid, at least for me. It's a way to grow your self-denying muscles, to help break your compulsion to have to always feed your wants and your appetites. And our 21 days of prayer and fasting, like I said, it starts tomorrow. And here's the thing. I want to challenge every one of you to join us. Every one of you. And here's the good news. You get to decide what it looks like, this fast. Maybe you fast from meals from sunup to sundown. I mean, that's exactly what I'll be doing. Or maybe you fast one day a week for these three weeks. Or maybe you choose to fast from social media or Netflix. Um, you could decide. You could decide what it looks like for you. But here's my encouragement. Choose to fast from something. I believe spending 21 days intentionally denying yourself, intentionally doing less, doing less to feed your own appetite, could be the most powerful thing you do to make 2024 the best year ever. So Jesus says, disciples, they deny themselves, but then he adds, they take up their cross. All right, what does that mean, take up your cross? I think this idea of cross-bearing is very misunderstood. Um, later this month, I have an exponential board meeting in warm and sunny Southern California. And I've been telling people, oh, it's my cross to bear. A board meeting in Santa Monica, you know, in January. Ever heard someone jokingly say something like that? Or have you ever heard someone refer to a disappointing situation and they say with seriousness, well, that's their cross to bear, or maybe the, to themselves, it's just my cross to bear. And see, when we use cross-bearing like that, we mean it like it's a burden or trial that we have to put up with, that we don't deserve it, but we're going to get through it. And see, that is not, that is not at all what Jesus is talking about when he says, take up your cross. All right, so what is Jesus talking about when he says, take up your cross? First thing, we have to remember this. Don't forget this, that when Jesus told us, take up your cross, that was before he was crucified. Before he was crucified. So while this metaphor would definitely take on greater meaning after his death, it had a very specific meaning to his disciples then, before his death, and it should for us today as well. See, crucifixion was reserved specifically for those who were offenders who'd been found guilty of rebelling against authority. Let me repeat that, okay? Crucifixion was reserved specifically for those who are offenders who are found guilty of rebelling against authority. When Jesus says, take your cross, 
He means us, for us to have this, that kind of a picture in mind, for us to picture, okay, someone admitting their guilt to the authorities, submitting themselves to carrying the crossbeam of a cross upon which they'd be executed. He, he actually wanted us to picture them carrying it to the very site where their execution would take place. And this, this is the word picture that Jesus is painting for us. And the action of carrying that cross beam would be a demonstration to all that this person knew they were guilty as charged. And, and they are so completely surrendered to the authorities that their last act in life was to carry the instrument of their demise to the place of their death. All right, can you, can you picture that? I mean, it's not a bright and cheery picture. And, and candidly, it wasn't meant to be. Sometimes, and for our own good, I think Jesus reminds us of our sin and what we deserve, which is the cross. Now, now here's what's so broken about me, okay, and I have a hunch about you too, that even though we deserve the cross, we all, okay, I think me and probably you, we still have this impulse to crown ourselves as king. And instead, put ourselves, instead of putting ourselves on the cross, we put ourselves on the throne. So here's what we're talking about. Take up their cross. When Jesus said that, take up their cross means less of being in charge. See, when Jesus calls for cross-bearing, he's asking us to make it clear that he is in authority, that he is king, and not me. And here's the truth that every Christ follower needs to come to grips with. The decision to be a disciple of Jesus means taking the crown off your own head and then placing it on the head of Jesus and then bowing down and giving him complete and total allegiance. Now, now some of you have been around church a while, and maybe you're thinking already, you're going like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did that. I mean, many years ago, I was in church, and the pastor asked us to raise our hand if we want to make Jesus Lord. And I raised my hand, and I said, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I've taken up my cross. Or you might be thinking, well, hold on, I was baptized. I was baptized in this church. Might have been a few years ago or a few weeks ago. And you're thinking, I got baptized in front of a whole crowd of people, and I said, yes, to Jesus as my king. Either those, if you did that, that's good, and it's important. But notice, Jesus adds a modifier to the challenge of take up your cross. He says, take up your cross, what's the word there? Daily. It's not a one-time event. It's not a one-time act of obedience. But instead, this take up your cross is an everyday occurrence for a disciple of Jesus, this cross-bearing. That means every morning when our feet touch the ground, we take up our cross, say, okay, Jesus, you have authority. How do I spend my time today? Jesus, you are Lord. You're the boss of all my resources. What I spend or don't spend today. Jesus, you are king, not only of my actions, but every thought that I have today. And Jesus, you will dictate what I say or don't say today. And so, Jesus, I submit to you all my relationships, all my ambitions, all my desires, because today is another day where you are king and I am not. 
Taking up your cross is a daily choice to be less in charge. It's a daily choice to be less in charge. Let, let me add a, a quick sidebar, since we're on the front end of 2024, an election year. Uh, over the next 10 months, a whole lot of people are gonna spend a whole lot of money trying to convince you who should be king or who shouldn't be king, so to speak, for the next four years. Make sure, as a disciple of Jesus, that every day leading up to November, that you do not dare pledge your allegiance to a donkey or to an elephant, but instead, every day, your sole allegiance is only to the Lamb of God, that Jesus is king, and that first and foremost, you're a citizen of that kingdom, and that as a church, we identify that Jesus is our king and we are a part of his kingdom. I think it's gonna be really important this coming year. So, back to what Jesus says about being a disciple. Jesus says, the disciple of Jesus is this, they deny themselves, they take up the cross daily, and then thirdly, they follow Jesus. They follow Jesus. Here at Community, uh, we describe following Jesus as the you plus life. Now, many people choose to live the you life. Um, the you life is totally focused on you. The you life is centered on, on you getting what you want. And the you life caters only to your desires and makes sure, make sure those are met. The you life can be recognized by this kind of unbridled pursuit of power and wealth and comfort and prestige. But the you plus life, as we call it, is the kind of life that Jesus offers us. It's a life that's not focused just on you. Because to follow Jesus, that means less focus on myself. Instead, following Jesus is focused on three very re intentional relational connections. You plus God, you plus the church, and you plus the world. This you plus life is a life that Jesus promises will be life and life more abundant. Uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks recently wrote a book uh, titled The Second Mountain. He describes first mountain people and then he describes second mountain people. Now, first mountain people he describes as people who have self-centered goals, self-centered goals. And then second mountain people are people that set goals that focus more on community and relationships and service. And he challenges his readers to move from the first mountain to the second mountain. And in fact, in the book, Brooks says this. He says, it's gotten so I can recognize first and second mountain people. Those on the first mountain of life tend to focus on themselves, on establishing identity, on managing their reputations, on status and reward. The second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self about contribution rather than acquisition, egalitarianism rather than elitism. The satisfaction of second mountain people is deeper and it leads not to happiness, but to joy. And I want a U plus second mountain kind of life, I'm telling you, for every one of you. And, and that's why community is encouraging every person to have a U plus discipleship conversation in 2024. We want you to connect every year, every year we do this, with another person 
who help you determine what are my next steps in my relationship with God? What are my next steps in my relationship with this church? What are my next steps in making a difference in my relationship with the world? And here's something exciting. I'm excited to let you know that we have a brand new kind of first step to prepare you for your 2024 U Plus Discipleship Conversation. It's a U Plus devotional experience. And I believe this is going to tie in perfectly with our 21 days of prayer and fasting because the devotional experience is designed for you to set aside time to actually hear from God. It might even be how you want to kick off the first day of your fast. You, you can start your fast with a devotional experience and then go ahead and schedule your 2024 U Plus Discipleship conversation right after that. In fact, here's a good next step. Just scan the QR code. It's on the screen there. And you can learn more about the U Plus Discipleship Conversations. And again, we're asking everyone, every person that calls community their church home and claims to be a disciple of Jesus to go through a U Plus Conversation every year. Same way we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, every year we do a U Plus Conversation. Why? Because Jesus is calling us to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow him. I want you to know, on behalf of myself and your local community staff, let's make 2024 the year where there's less of us so we can make room for more of God. I'm going to hand off the message now to the teaching pastor at your location to wrap up and give you some specific challenges and some next steps you can take. Well, I want to close our time actually with just a moment of prayer to let you explore, internalize whatever it is that God is inviting you into, most specifically with these next 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, just in between, as we were greeting each other, I saw Joseph over here. Joseph looked at me and asked the question Marissa offered us, what's your New Year's resolution? I was like, I don't really have one. And I was like, well, Joseph, what's yours? And Joseph was like, I don't really have one either. And Joseph and I both looked at each other and said, wouldn't it be nice if we could slow down just a little bit to figure out what our resolution for 2024 should be? So what I want to do before we close in our time of prayer, is I want to, or close in a time of worship, is I just want to give you a moment to pray and to think about this journey of 21 days of prayer and fasting. So here's the question. If you want to get comfortable in your seat, get settled in, if you feel comfortable to close your eyes, it can help you focus and just notice your breathing, remind yourself that God is here, that God has been here this whole time, that God can and does speak to you. And as you enter into just this moment of prayer, where is a way that you could experience less so that God could give you more? Is there any area of your life where by experiencing less, God could give you more? taking this moment to slow down and connect to yourself. You may have a lot of thoughts racing. Maybe you have those resolutions you've already made. Seven days in, starting to see the stress and the strain, the busyness of life. Maybe you already feel distracted, pulled. What we want to invite you to do for the next 21 days is pick one practice 
This is totally up to you. Uh, I always enjoy, when possible, activating my body with this practice. So if you want to fast from food, some people do a juice fast for 21 days. You could pick a day of the week. That's what I tend to do. Uh, set Wednesdays aside. Wednesdays are my fast day. For the next 21 days, is there a way to activate your body through fasting? Or, I also know for many of us, fasting either with food or elsewhere, health-related reasons, for any number of reasons, a food fast just might not be what you need this year. Is there some other area of your life where you can restrict and restrain yourself to open yourself up to more prayer, open yourself up to more presence when it comes to God? This could be social media. This year, I'm actually just going to delete the Instagram app from my phone for 21 days. Simple removal to create more space from God. This could be Netflix. This could be a place that you tend to frequent. It could be eating out. It could be sweets. It could be anything. But just for one more moment, I want to create some space for God to nudge you. And it's probably something you would like to not give up for the next 21 days. Uh, Lord, is there something you're speaking to us even now that for 21 days we could set aside intentionally to encounter you?